First, I want to say thank you for asking me to do this uh, interview. Um, the purpose of this interview is for a uh, nurse practitioner who is pursuing doctoral study at Fairleigh Dickinson University, and she is interviewing uh, nurse practitioner entrepreneurs. And uh, looking over her questions, they're quite common of the questions that I had been asked uh, in the past um, four years that I've had Metro Medical Direct uh, up and running. So the reason I've decided to turn this into a podcast is um, I think the questions will continue to come and are quite common and perhaps they can also help other aspiring nurses and nurse practitioners um, start practices and uh, increase access to care and really show uh, prospective patients uh, what care from a nurse practitioner can look like. So let me begin by addressing the first question. Uh, what ignited... Um, the spark in you to begin a new business venture and how did the idea for this business come about? Um, well, Metro Medical Direct was probably a culmination of all of the various healthcare experiences that I've had um, to date. Uh, Metro Medical Direct was started in 2009 and at the time I was working as a nurse practitioner for uh, an insurance company uh, providing long-term care in skilled nursing facilities. Uh, and prior to that, I had worked in various um, primary care settings, uh, including an internal medicine practice on the Upper East Side uh, that took all kinds of insurance. Uh, prior to that, I had worked in um, something called the Floating Hospital, which provided um, services to homeless shelters. Uh, I had also done uh, Medicare home health services as a visiting nurse uh, as well as a nurse practitioner. Uh, I was a critical care nurse for a while and an ER nurse. I had done travel nursing and occupational health school nursing for a while um, and I was also um, in the military uh, where I worked as a, an Air Force nurse for seven years uh, which also included a tour to Baghdad in 2006, uh, where we worked in a field hospital. So all of those um, experiences uh, in healthcare helped um, create Metro Medical Direct. But the one uh, experience that really helped uh, fuel the fire to start this business was when I had the misfortune of becoming a patient. Uh, I became a patient. Uh, I had a problem that I had to have uh, evaluated. And what happened was I wound up getting passed along from provider to provider, doctor to doctor, um, and they would order their tests and come up with results that weren't what they were looking for. Um, and then they'd refer you to another specialist who'd order more tests and the results were not what they were looking for, so they'd refer you to another specialist. And in healthcare we call this incidental findings. Well, incidental findings um, are probably one of the most um, biggest driving forces for the escalating cost of healthcare. Nobody was tying this together for me. Now, I spoke the healthcare language. I knew what was legit, what was not, but as the patient, you're going to trust what your doctor tells you, and you're going to, oh, I must go see this next person, or, okay, I guess I have to have this next test. Well, as this goes on, you're essentially starting to wonder, do I have some undiagnosed condition? Do I how serious is this? Or is someone missing something in all of this? 
At the same time, I got to encounter all the things that healthcare providers find frustrating about the system, as well as patients. Um, it's the bureaucracy of healthcare. It's the endless waiting and waiting rooms. Patients don't like to be kept waiting for an appointment to start at 9 o'clock, and they tell you arrive at 8.30 to fill out forms, and then you don't get seen until 9.30. If you're lucky, 10 o'clock is more common, but 10.30 is not unheard of. That's two hours of waiting before you even get in, and then you spend maybe 15 minutes with the doctor, um, and then various assistants come in behind and ahead of that person. You retell your story numerous times. It feels like nobody in your care is actually talking to each other, and then you're off to the next test or the next referral. Um, and then every time you call, you're placed on hold, or um, the front of the house staff is less than responsive or eager to accommodate. These can be very uh, frustrating for patients to contend with, especially if you're truly sick. Um, so I, I was becoming utterly frustrated and disenfranchised with the system that I was working in. Uh, I was a part of this system. Um, so one day I was ordering my groceries. In Manhattan we have a service called Fresh Direct where you uh, enter your grocery order online and you pick a delivery time and the groceries arrive. And I thought, you know, food is a necessary service for life, as is health care. Why can't healthcare be as accessible and as, and as convenient as this grocery service? These guys are onto something. So I looked around to see who is delivering healthcare. Now, the traditional medical house call had not gone away. It was still there, but it was still traditional. Whereas you had to pick up the phone and speak to somebody and they would come and deliver, you know, do the medical house call and that would it, and that was the extent of it. But in our current economy, we are becoming more and more accustomed to doing things online. We bank online. We order groceries online. We make hotel and flight reservations online. We text message. We email. We FaceTime chat and Skype. We instant message. Online communication is more common to our daily experience than is picking up the phone. In fact, more and more, it's, let, it's becoming frustrating to have to listen to a voice message. Um, so now we have autoresponders that say, send a text when the phone rings and I can't get to it. So I wanted to create a means that was convenient, that allowed people to access the care they needed in a manner that was consistent with their daily communication style. Um, in looking what was available, no one was really doing this request an appointment online. I wanted them to book the appointment, not request. That was also a bit new at the time. I also wanted to uh, be able to gather much of the information in a secure fashion so they didn't have to spend hours filling out forms. Uh, I wanted the appointment to start and end on time. I also didn't want to have to drag the patient into a physical bricks and mortar, exposing them to endless germs and uh, you know, compromising their confidentiality where all the peering eyes would look, oh, what are you in for? What are you in for when you go to sit in a doctor's office? Um, I didn't want them to have to retell their health story 50 times to different assistants. I wanted them to show up and have an answer or at least a direction of where their care was headed by the end of the experience. So as a result, Metro Medical Direct was born. The patient logs on to metromedicaldirect.com clicks their red button, requests an appointment, gives some brief information, 
and I arrive at their home office or hotel prepared to deliver primary care to them. At the end of that visit, the patient receives a personalized podcast or video summarizing what it is that occurred in that visit. Should they have questions, the patient is able to log into a secure portal, communicate with me, share information, or they're able to securely text me through other web-based technology. If we have to follow up for a particular reason, if it doesn't require a physical exam, we use further web technology and we do webcam visits. Or they can request a follow-up visit through the portal and I arrive again and care is delivered. If they need a referral, I try to prepare them for that referral. I try to give them all the results in hand, electronically and in paper. I also try to call that referral ahead of time to let them know what's coming and what they can expect. So that by the end of that referral, they have a good idea as to what their diagnosis and treatment plan should look like. It's relationship-based care. It's care the way it ought to be. It's the care that I would provide to my own family. It's the care that healthcare providers know it ought to be like, but the system for some reason doesn't allow it to be that way. So Metro Medical Direct, plain and simple, was designed to remove the hassles of going to the doctor by delivering the care to the patient's home office or hotel in Manhattan. Next question, how long did it take you to get the business off the ground from being just a thought to full fruition? And when did you officially establish Metro Medical Direct? Uh, from beginning to end, it took about nine months to get it off the ground. In that time, um, I wrote a business plan and a marketing plan. Uh, the business plan was about 100 pages long. Uh, it's not something I'd ever done before. Um, but I now, looking back, realize how invaluable it is, and I highly recommend that to anyone that thinks of starting up a business. Um, there's lots of great resources online that can show someone how to write a business plan. Um, so it took about nine months to do that. Next question, what qualities do you believe you have to have to become a successful entrepreneur? And what would you say are the top three skills needed to become a successful entrepreneur? Okay, so the qualities you believe you have to have to be successful. Um, you have to be uh, dissatisfied with the status quo. And not just in your area of work, just generally a dissatisfied person with the way things are. Uh, which also needs to be followed with a strong belief that there just must be a better way to do something. You just have to be always believing there's always a better way. There ought to be a better way. Uh, and then the third um, uh, quality is that you have to be intellectually curious about everything. Uh, those are the three qualities, I think, for successful entrepreneurship the three skills needed to be a successful entrepreneur is you must be observant, reflective, and determined. You need to be able to observe your environment, what is going on around you, so that you can identify the problem that you're going to set out to make better. Uh, you also need to be reflective. That is to say, well, why hasn't anyone come up with this solution or how have they been solving this problem? Um, reflective enough to be able to identify how you're going to approach a problem differently and also determined to pursue um, various solutions and not afraid to fail. Uh, but I'm not saying be reckless, but you should also uh, be able to take a risk, a calculated risk, because without the risk, you will be then wallowing in the status quo. 
And on the heels of uh, taking risks and being not afraid to fail, the next question is, what have been some of your failures or the biggest mistakes you've made and what have you learned from them? Well, um, one common business mistake that I too have made is uh, spending money before it's time. Um, so one of the first portals I started or, or purchased actually um, just did not meet the needs uh, of the business that I needed it to meet, but at the time there was nothing else available. But it did cost me a lot and I was uh, entangled in a uh, three-year-long contract. But you live and learn and it was a costly mistake. I probably should have sat on it for a while, but my eagerness uh, to just get the product to market led to a costly three-year-long um, contractual obligation. I eventually did cut my losses, pay out the contract, and change portals, but that was an expensive learning curve. Another one is my eagerness again. Um, sometimes it's important to just not talk and listen to the counsel around you, um, but that's hard, especially when you're passionate about your idea and you want to get the word out, uh, but sometimes it's important to just sit back and consider the advice and counsel of others. So listening is a big one. Uh, how many hours average a day do you spend on your business? Has it affected your family life? And did you have to make any sacrifices to become a successful entrepreneur? And what are they? Oh boy. Okay. So here's starting a business. It took nine months to start Metro Medical Direct, kind of as long as it takes to um, hatch a baby. It's like having a baby. It's like asking a parent, how many hours a day do you spend thinking about your child? Every hour of every day. Uh, it's not that it's, you're obsessing, but when you have downtime, you can't help but think about it. Um, it's not like you're worried, but you're always thinking how to make it better. Where is its hazards and pitfalls? Um, what are the potential growth opportunities? What are the potential risks you need to mitigate? How are your patients doing? Do you need to follow up now? Can it wait a few days? So you're thinking about the business a lot. Has it affected your family life? Yes, of course it has, because um, when you own the business, you don't just stop working at four or five or six o'clock in the evening. You're on. There's a lot of work that you do when you own the business that is essentially uncompensated. They call that sweat equity. When you're not putting money into it, you're putting sweat into it. The trade-off becomes if you don't want to keep sweating, you're going to have to pay someone to sweat for you. And then you start sweating that they're not sweating enough. So, um, yes, it does definitely affect your day-to-day -day life. Um, you could be mid-conversation and suddenly you have a great idea and you want to talk about it, but, you know, you need to talk about family issues. So uh, that also is a bit of a sacrifice. Also, vacations change. When you're not working, you're not bringing in an income. So there's no such thing as really a paid vacation when you are the head chef and bottle washer. You need to work to bring in the revenue. And if you don't bring in the revenue, the practice expenses don't get paid. And if they don't get paid, the practice will close. So it's a constant, um, it's a constant uh, cycle that needs to continue on. So vacations are cut short. Um, your evenings are cut into uh, because I still have to keep a day job for now. But um, it's a time and time commitment and a mental occupation commitment as well. That being said, you've heard the expression, find a job you love and you'll never work a day in your life. It is not drudgery. It is actually quite enjoyable. Uh, I love the innovation. I love that it's not only focusing about how to treat patients, but it's also focusing on all the various things that go into 
business planning and development and innovation. So yes, it's work, but it's very enjoyable work and I highly recommend it. I'm going to combine these next two questions. Uh, where did the company's funding and capital come from? Um, did I obtain investors? And the other one is how do you build a successful customer base? And how do you go about marketing your business? Okay, um, no, I was self-funded. That's why I continue to work. And But I did write the business plan as if I were going to get investors. And I did seek out some small business uh, counseling services. And the best advice I got when planning the business was when you're planning it and writing your business plan, you want to come up with as many ways as possible that this business could fail. So a lot of the counselors I spoke to would ask me questions in the startup like, so why would I go see you? Wait, you're a nurse practitioner. Don't I want to see a doctor? Why wouldn't I just see a doctor? Uh, why house call? You don't take my insurance. So what happens if I have an emergency in the middle of the night? You need to come up with as many ways that your business will fail before you start it so that you can figure out how you're going to address those issues. Because if you decide that only after the business starts, that's going to be very expensive to address those issues, and then you may quickly start to go under. So, um, no, I self-funded it. And um, successful customer base. Where did that come from? Well, that's another reason to keep your day job. Um, being an entrepreneur working in a private practice can be very lonely and isolating. Uh, if you're it, you really have no one to talk to. Uh, other than your patients. You need to maintain professional connections and circles. Um, so I get referrals through my website. I get referrals through professional associations. I get referrals from other patients. Um, friends refer to me. Um, and then, you know, some people follow me on Facebook and Twitter and eventually they'll follow. Uh, some of the press articles have helped. Uh, that's been helpful. Um, but it is an ever... It's part of work, though. You're forever thinking about how to continually grow and get more referrals. Um, that's one of the problems in not having a traditional insurance-based practice. Uh, there is no insurance book to open up and say, he takes my insurance, I'm going to go to that one. When you're doing a fee-for-service primary care practice, unless the person really values their health care and says, I'm going to go and it's worth paying out of network for, uh, that's a different kind of patient. Um, so that's why it's quite... Uh, labor intensive. It's a major labor in the practice to continue to bring in new patients. Uh, I get most of my patients after they have become utterly disenfranchised with the traditional healthcare system. Uh, I've gotten many patients on their way to the emergency room. Their family members start googling frantically, um, stumble upon me and say, I don't want her admitted again. Is there anything we can do to get her out? And so uh, that's how I get several patients. Uh, by quickly reaching out to the ER doc and um, you know seeing the patient quite timely. So that's another way it cuts into my personal life is you kind of have to be ready to go when the patient needs you. Not 911 service, but letting them know that there's a point of contact. So that's how I generate new patients. Uh, and if you know anyone, feel free to refer them. Also, how do you generate new ideas for the business? Well, that's another good question because that also goes into how do you get referrals in the customer base? You can't be content with the status quo. I'm not content that the business is going well. Uh, I'm forever expecting the business to fail so that I'm always forced to figure out how it should not fail and do better. Uh, you don't want to be another me too practice. I am not just another 
medical house call practice. I am not just another telemedicine practice. This is Metro Medical Direct. I am a nurse practitioner, not a doctor. I provide something that's not already on the market. It is relationship-based care. So the new ideas come from looking at the current problems in the healthcare system and also considering what future problems may occur in the healthcare system. And I developed the product and service line that deals with the current problem and anticipates the future problem. And it has to be very flexible and adaptable uh, to meet the current and prospective needs of my customer base. Is there a successful form? Is there a pattern or formula for to being a successful entrepreneur? Um, you have to have the qualities of success, that is to say, dissatisfied with the status quo, a strong belief that there is and ought to be a better way to do things, a genuine intellectual curiosity, and the determination to press on despite all odds. That is the formula. How you apply it, there can't be a formula. By definition, you need to be flexible and adaptable and um, willing to take risks and innovate. Um, the other thing here is that I do provide consulting services. What advice would I tell prospective entrepreneurs, nurse practitioners in particular, on starting a business? Uh, step one, make sure you can answer the question, why do you want to start a business? Figure out what that business is. You've got to write a business plan. I know this is the most drudgerous thing you can think of doing. You just want to get out there and do it. I warn strongly against doing that because it will be very expensive to fail once the door is open. Um, so please write the plan. I had one woman call me up saying, I want to start a practice. I said, great. She said, I've rented an office space. I said, oh, you must be pretty near starting then. She goes, no. I said, what? do you have a collaborating physician? New York requires that. No, I don't. Do you have your regulatory documents in place? No. Do you have malpractice? No. You're paying rent on an office space and you're not ready to even start? No. Oh boy, big mistake. So start a business plan. Figure out why anyone should see you and what are you going to do differently than that's already on the market? And you also need to find out who else is doing what you're doing and if no one's doing it, you need to think about why not? Is there really a business there? There's a big gap between business and great idea. The purpose of a business is to make a profit. If your business cannot be profitable, it will not be a business. That's called a mission, a volunteer effort. Great. If that's what you want to do, fine. But it's not a business. You cannot have a business without a profit. I had a boss that I worked for that said, no margin, no mission. So uh, profit is not a bad word. Um, it allows you to do the things that the business was designed to do. Um, what do you feel is the major difference between an entrepreneur and those who work for someone else? From my worldview, there really is none. If you think about this, and if you think about your employee nature job, this is it. When you're an entrepreneur, entrepreneurship is a mindset. It's not a job description. The mindset of an entrepreneur is this. Um, when you work for someone, you're still an entrepreneur, except you have one client. That one client is your boss. Your job is to keep that boss happy, find out what that boss's needs are, and your job is to meet them. You meet them better than anyone else, they keep you. They will pay you more. If they don't pay you more, you will go find someone else that will. You've just moved on to a new client. In When you are the boss, your clients are everyone else that buys your services. So 
If you can adopt an entrepreneurial mentality or at least practice being an entrepreneur in your day job, um, you will be able to really hone those skills and do quite well as an entrepreneur when you start becoming the business owner. Um, which provides me the most satisfaction and why? Uh, because I have this entrepreneurial mindset, I am equally satisfied doing what I do because I love what I do both as an employee and a business owner. Uh, but I would have to say I like being the business owner because it's nice to be able to determine the direction of where the practice goes. Um, so, yeah, I would say being a business owner is more satisfying. But as an employee, you still it's all about making your client happy so that they will continue to give you repeat business so that they continue to ask me to keep coming back to work. What is your favorite aspect of being an entrepreneur and how is it different from being a nurse practitioner and an educator? Um, being an entrepreneur is basically the role of being an innovator, uh, that of a nurse practitioner, educator. Uh, it's just a focused innovator. Uh, as an NP and educator, I'm innovating specifically to solve a patient's specific problem or teach them about their health and well-being or I'm teaching other nursing students or nurses about how to practice the craft of delivering care. Uh, but I like the concept of innovation and critical thinking and problem solving. That to me is the biggest draw. Uh, entrepreneurship allows you to do it in many different areas. If I had to start my business over, what would I do differently? I would stick to my business plan more uh, religiously. I would also try to maintain a more rigid schedule uh, so that I could be more disciplined. Uh, I would say that's probably the hardest thing is to maintain uh, diligence and discipline in my working hours. Um, I hate doing things that are like the bookkeeping and things like that. So I would really say that's probably, uh, I would do that much more rigidly. Uh, I probably, it's my New Year's resolution every year is to just start today and be more consistent, but uh, better scheduling. Uh, where do I see myself and my business in 10 years and then in 20 years? Um, I see the practice continuing to grow. I see it continuing to be on the cutting edge of um, healthcare innovation. I hope, I see that the telemedicine will expand uh, as a major emphasis, uh, expanding by taking on more nurse practitioners and delivering more care. I would like to see a Metro Medical Direct in every major city so that the patient can become a patient of the practice so that wherever they travel, they could take their primary care with them when they travel. Uh, and if they need to have a face-to-face -face visit, they could see a nurse practitioner in that particular city. Um, or if they would like to do telemedicine, they could follow up online. Uh, but basically providing a contiguous health network connected by internet technology. Um, in 20 years, where do I see the practice going? It's hard to know. That really depends on what healthcare looks like in 20 years. Um, but probably in 20 years, I could see it having an expanded array of service offerings. I see the concept in the room for something called the hospital at home. More and more healthcare is moving out of the traditional bricks and mortar. Uh, in the last five years, I've seen an increase in home births and primary care at home. Well, if we're delivering babies at home and we're doing hospice and more home care, there's no reason a lot of the services in between could not be rendered in the home. Right now, you can have home diagnostics. So perhaps you can do a lot more care at home. Maybe there will be 
uh, a mobile emergency room or urgent care center where you could point and click and you can request um, an urgent care to be delivered or perhaps you can have some sort of a facilitated comprehensive health care pattern at home and the hospital is really used for the most critical um, aspects of care delivery. Maybe that's where we'll be in 20 years. That of course depends on what the market will bear and um, what providers are willing to do. Uh, is there a person or a business that you admire and inspires you to do better? Um, yes, and this will garner a lot of raised brows, but I would say it's Rush Limbaugh. All right, stop gasping. Here's why. Um, he takes perhaps the most risks than anybody I can identify in the public eye. He makes some of the most controversial statements, and he challenges people to cha uh, critically think and challenge the status quo every single day. He does not want you to take anything at face value. Um, and that's essential to being a successful entrepreneur. He, and I've, I've listened to him for years, and it's kind of one of these driving forces that says, there is a better way. You know what it is. Now come up with it and put it out there. So I find that inspiring. Whether you agree with him or not is not the point, but you have to be willing to challenge the status quo. Otherwise, you're going to wallow in it, and you're never going to be the leader that you think you would like to be. Entrepreneurs lead. You set the trend. You either set the trend or you follow a trend. Uh, and in one word, characterize your life as an entrepreneur and as an employee. Um, one word as an entrepreneur... And as an employee, it's the same. Um, entrepreneurship is a mindset. It's just two sets of clients. Um, challenge the status quo.